Hello and welcome to the Bird Boys Poultry Podcast with me, Jed Dwight. And me, Ollie Woodall. We're so grateful that you have joined us for our first full episode of this brand new podcast. Uh, we're down in Cornwall this weekend. Uh, Ollie and I are due to judge at a poultry show down here, which is all very exciting. Um, but we've got uh, a few things that we wanted to chat through uh, we've got a Q&A that we're going to talk about today and also um, we're going to look at some of the birds that were entered in the virtual poultry show uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, but Ollie, what have you been up to over the past couple of weeks? So it's been quite busy. We've had the um, the virtual show, um, which I was involved with, um, and then I had my local um, uh, mixed show. Um, and then obviously I've... Uh, come over here to uh spend a delightful amount of time with you <laughs> it's always delightful when we're together obviously um okay grand and how how was the uh, the show that you attended over in jersey how did that go um yeah it, it's um it was a good turnout we're only a small club um and we're lucky that um throughout bird blue we didn't really have the restrictions that have been put in place over here um and like the show that we've just had um we were allowed to have waterfowl which was great because obviously everyone over here is is not able to show waterfowl uh, but yes there was um, a nice turnout good quality birds um hopefully um would encourage more people to uh be a little bit more positive about breeding this year for our young stock show in august Cool. And how did you get on? Um, well, so rather embarrassingly, I um, I swept the board. So those of you who don't know me, I show um, poultry, it's that comprises of chicken and waterfowl. Um, I also show rabbits and now have recently started with guinea pigs. And um, without blowing my own trumpet, I won each of my sections. But I can't grumble too much. <laughs> Without blowing your trumpet quite. Um, oh, well, well done. That's, I mean, they are incredible results, really. And what did you win the show champion with in the poultry section? So the poultry section was a Abacot Ranger female. Nice. Very nice. So, um, yes, yeah. I was quite pleased with that. Well, I was down here uh, in Cornwall literally a few weeks ago um, visiting Simon James, who's a, a really well-respected uh, poultry breeder and judge. Um, working on a project with the Dorking Club as well, which is funny because uh, I live in Surrey. I'm literally about four, uh, 15 minutes from the town of Dorking in Surrey. And if you drive through the town, as I do pretty regularly, you'll see um, emblems of a, of a Dorking. There's a roundabout with a Dorking cockbird, massive Dorking cockbird on it. Um, which uh, always makes uh, people, uh, gives them a giggle, I think. Um, but it's really good to be down with Simon looking through Dawkins, but also uh, lots of other breeds that, that he has too. Uh, and on the waterfowl side, you've got uh, Simon breeds Toulouse geese, Steinbackers, which I used to have, and indeed I got my first Steinbackers from Simon, uh, cool ducks, miniature crested ducks, uh, Czech geese. Uh, he's got a real uh, collection down here of um, really good examples of of uh, the, their respective breeds. So that was good fun, and it's always nice to kind of chat as as when we're together, Ollie, um, chatting through the kind of intricacies of of the different birds, the different breeds. Um, is is always good fun, and um, yes, that was good. So that's kind of been my most poultry uh themed uh visit for a while so that was really nice um and then we pulled together another issue of fancy fowl which is the magazine that i edit um and i think there's plenty of really good content in there again for the february issue so we do a, an interview with alexandra Wisniski, um uh, who's a fancier from the states and uh mainly on waterfowl she did incredibly well at the ohio national her and her partner pete um they took overall champion waterfowl with a peking duck over at the 150th apa 
uh, centenary show in Ohio back in November. So that was really good. It's a great interview to do. Uh, Peter Tasker, who breeds Dutch Bantams and has been pretty uh, crucial in, in the development of that breed over in the UK. And I think we can be proud. We probably have some of the best Dutch Bantams in, in the world uh, over here right now. Peter has kind of very much led that. So it's great to do an interview with him. And then Alana Adams, who is a junior fancier over in Northern Ireland. Her dad, Neil Adams, her granddad, Joe Adams, her mum, now Becky Adams, her granny, Ginny McKee, all really influential, successful poultry breeders. And it's great to see that Alana is carrying on uh, in that vein, but very much on her own as well she's not relying on their support she she's doing it herself which is great to see and we've got an interview with her too and uh, she's featured on our front cover for February so um, it's been a a pretty busy month but hopefully people are gonna enjoy that uh, issue of Fancy Fowl so there we go Um, yeah so we are down in Cornwall uh, again or or I'm down in Cornwall again Ollie's joined me this time Um, and we were ready to judge yeah so we're doing this literally before we head head there to to go judging uh so really exciting I've actually not judged at a poultry show since I think probably 2021 yeah I think probably maybe Stroud was the last show yeah so originally we were just going to visit I was I was asked to judge uh, it's quite difficult to kind of commit to judging appointments at the minute because my diary moves around a lot. But um, I wanted to come down and visit the show anyway. So we kind of uh, decided to do that. Uh, I, I asked Ollie if he wanted to come in and join. Um, and uh, and then they've got such a great entry of birds. They asked if we would also uh, judge some of, the, some of the birds as they knew it were coming now. Um, so that's really exciting. So great to be down in Cornwall. Uh, this is a federation of clubs coming together, four different clubs. Um, they've got an entry of over 400 birds, which is, which is really impressive and helps us kind of on that journey uh, post, post-bird free. So um, what are you most looking forward to? It's your first proper judging engagement ollie so um what, what, are, what are you most looking forward to um well being that it's been such a long time being able to actually physically go to a proper show i think in general just being able to actually meet up with um, like-minded fanciers talk to old friends and new um and just see what birds people have been keeping tucked away for the past few years through um, COVID and obviously um, bird flu. And um, I really hope that the quality is still being kept because obviously I'm aware people uh, have not necessarily bred as much as they would normally because of they're not necessarily being purpose to to breed what they would normally because of no shows and et cetera. Um, yeah, and I think... Um, 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 and I think, um, in general, I'm just quite excited to actually uh, have been given the opportunity to judge true bantams. I think it's going to be a, well, I'd like to think it's going to be a lovely turnout, considering they've got such a good entry. Um, how about yourself? Yeah, I'm just looking forward. To, I, I think um, this is the kind of building blocks, really of the showing world coming back that's how I look at it so I know a lot of people didn't breed as many birds this past year as they would have normally done because of the uh, lack of shows I'm hoping this will build confidence in that over this coming breeding season people will be uh, breeding more birds they'll be thinking more about uh, having birds to take to the shows and so this time uh next year or even earlier actually so kind of the end of this year uh, September October November time we will see uh, a real influx actually of, of entries at shows and uh real quality in that so I see this as a as a building blocks exercise I expect a lot of the birds are going to be older birds perhaps it's um uh, quite late in the season normally for showing uh, last show's uh in in normal times would be kind of wedding bantam show those kinds of things in in february and the big shows will have will have already been over and done with so uh so yeah but i'm excited uh looking forward to seeing what what comes out and and who comes out on top as well so 
uh, yeah, looking forward to it. Um, so obviously, we did have a virtual show uh, a few weeks ago. We both judged in that, Ollie, as I said before. You kind of helped uh, the team to pull some of those entries together. Um, what we thought it'd be useful to do actually was to talk through. So I went through, as I always do, um, and uh, went through the albums, looked at the various different versions. They had a really good entry, and in some of the breeds and sections, some some really good examples. Um, I went through before the show, picked out some of the birds that I thought looked like they should be competitive, um, and we thought we'd talk through some of those birds and then also some of the birds that we we ended up judging as well so uh this is where it comes in that um I've said before that we both have backgrounds so I've still got my cool ducks in the background uh, and willow uh Ollie this time has got some lovely red dorkings um keeping with that feature of uh talking about dorkings while while I've been down here before um and another element of that is that we can obviously share our screen. So those of you listening to this as, as a podcast, please do uh, take a look at our Facebook page because we'll be looking to pop this element up there uh, so that you can see the, the birds that we're talking through as, as well. Um, and we'll try and keep that short so you don't have to watch all of this again because I'm sure listening to it once is quite enough. We all know Jed likes to waffle. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, kind. Right. So uh, here we go. So this is the first bird. So Ollie, you judged the Japanese uh, bantams um, in that virtual show. And this, I think, was your best of breed, wasn't it? Yes, that's correct. Um, I really enjoyed judging the Japanese. Um, some great examples of the breed, um, some lovely examples of each of the colours entered. I just felt for a minority class, so this was any other colour. Um, it was just a very well turned out bird. It's very well balanced, well marked, lovely comb on it. Um, it just seemed like the worthy winner to me. Um, condition wise, you know, really there's not much to fold feather wise. It's, you know, almost feather perfect. Um, so I'm really pleased that uh, a uh, well, that I put a a colour that you wouldn't necessarily see on championship row, let's say, for a Japanese bantam. It tends to be blacks, whites, black-tailed whites. Um, well, and also I think it's a worthy. So, so my big thing with putting up colours that don't normally win or uh, newish colours up, my thing is that's great as long as they are genuinely worthy of winning. So I would never put a colour bird up over a white bird just because it's coloured and I want to do something different. No, uh, of course. I think it, it's got to be, um, uh, it's got to actually uh, be justified in awarding that. And I think definitely, so it's a brown red um, yeah. Jap, which you don't see that many of these days. And it's it's a really good example. You know, the colour is good. It's rich. Like I say, the condition is good. The type is good. The head is good. Um, it it has everything that you would really be looking for in, in a Jap, as far as I'm concerned. Um, perhaps could be a little bit lower at the front, but but I think that's... Yes. Yeah, you could um, argue that, yeah. So, uh, yeah, so, you know, nice bed. Well done for, for picking that out. Um, next, we have uh, a Buff Orpington Drake. So I picked this one out. Uh, Buff Orpington ducks actually do fairly well in, in the shows now. Um, but I picked this one out because the, the ducks are normally the ones that win. But this is a, a really decent Drake. And one of the biggest challenges for anyone who breeds Buff Orpington ducks or Buff Cool Ducks or, or anything with that buff colour and waterfowl is getting rid of the bluey coloured heads in in the drakes and the bluey tails, etc. This drake, I thought, did that really well. He's got that kind of darker um, head with the buffy hue rather than the, than a blue hue. Tight-wise, really nice, as you'd expect for, for a light duck. Um, so, yeah, so I, I picked that one out as, as a bird that I quite liked. I think, you know, I can't remember how he did, but I imagine he probably won won his class. Um, I believe so, yes. 
Yeah. <clears throat> what do you think of him, Molly? I very much echo what you say. Um, it's lovely to see a buff bird that holds a almost complete even um, tone because quite often you'll get patchiness across the flights and the wings, which tend to be a lot lighter than the rest of the body. Um, but as a bird in general, he looks the part, lovely full head, solid bill on him, uh, you know, and, you know, real well done to the breeder. I think they've really, you know, put the effort in there to turn out a very well-bred bird. Yeah, and they take a lot of effort as well. You have to breed quite a lot to, to get a good one. So that was good. Um, this was another bird I picked out uh, ahead of time. A really wonderful example of a cuckoo peeking hen. Colour perfect, condition perfect, uh, lovely head, beautiful tilt, great width, great skirt. You know, everything I, I could really wish for in in a, in both the type of a peeking and then yes. the colour of, of a cuckoo as well. Um, I think this bird ended up being best peaking, actually, in the end. Yes, yeah, she did, yeah. Um, and, and you could see okay. why. And actually, the, the peaking class was incredibly competitive. There were some really good uh, examples of the breed across the colours. But this bird just stood out to me. Um, like I said, the, the shape of the cushion uh, is is really lovely the the way it, it kind of comes out. Um, so yeah, so that was a bird I picked out as well. I'd just like to pick up on a few points there that Jess mentioned. Those of you listening who, <clears throat> excuse me, don't necessarily know some of the terminology that we're using, um, certain breeds. So Jed mentioned uh, peaking tilt. So that's something that breeders and judges would be looking on a peaking where the tail sits higher than the head itself giving off if you were to draw a line from the top of the head to the top of the tail that uh, tilt uh, and he's also just referred to a cushion in the tail so that's that's the fullness you want a nice well-bodied tail nothing nothing that's narrow um Anything you'd like to add on that? <laughs> no, well done for picking me. I, I'm I'm afraid I will just go off on a tangent uh, using all these phrases that you're quite right. Not everyone will be aware of. Um, and feel free. Obviously, we have a Q and A at each podcast. Do feel free to send in any any questions you have um, related to this too. Um, we've got Furnace Old English Game a Bantam uh, female here. Uh, I just thought really stylish, lovely type, you know, great thighs, good legs, uh, really lovely eye type uh, as as you'd want it to be, um, ready and alert. Again, one of the birds that I kind of picked out ahead of time. Can't remember if this one won or not, to be honest. I can't quite remember, actually. Can't remember um, what was best, Old English Game Bantam. Um no. But anyway, a, a really nice example, um, and you know, congrats to whoever, who not only whoever bred it, but whoever took that photo, because I think that photo probably shows that bird off as, as well as you could. Yeah, so I was just going to mention that actually, those of you who know Jed know how particular he is with his photographs, yeah. and has known for for many years has been one of the photographers at the national show and many other shows where they offer a photography service for um, championship birds and yeah whoever took the photograph of this bird you can really show that they made the effort to get the bird to really stand out and show its true true type um and I really think that matters when you're doing, especially for the likes of this photographic competition. You're never really going to be able to judge a bird properly from a photograph anyway. But if you really make the effort and put the time in to really get a bird to stand how it should to represent that breed, obviously it's going to make the work a lot easier for those that are judging the photographs and also just help get your bird further up in the placings anyway. Um, so yeah, congratulations to whoever this uh, owner is. Definitely, a good photo makes all the difference. And um, uh, I have written articles in in magazines previously, uh, particularly ahead of the the first virtual shows, kind of giving some tips on on uh, how to get a good photo of a bird. The best advice I can give is patience. Be really patient. When I used to take photos. <laughs> 
as Ollie said, at shows around the country, I would never be rushed. If I needed 10, 15 minutes with one bird alone to get the photo I was after, that is the time I would take. And um, so if you if you are going to enter a virtual poultry show and you'll, you'll take it seriously, then mm-hmm. take your time. Don't be rushed. Um, the, the bird won't thank you for it. Um, and... Yeah, you can capture really good photos. Natural is normally best. You want the bed to be relaxed, particularly in waterfowl. Thinking of cool ducks, you want the head to be relaxed so they're looking their best. Other birds like this, because uh, it's hard feather, you probably want it to be a bit peppy, actually, and up on its toes a bit, um, which is, uh, I imagine they probably use a judging stick on, on this bird to, to get her up and about and, you know, looking alert. Um, and they've definitely succeeded in that. Uh, right, let's move on to the next one. Okay, so uh, it was a silver Seabright uh, pullet that, um, of Robin Crichton's, who's a very famous and successful poultry exhibitor, won uh, reserve show champion in the show. And Robin has won uh, show champion at the National twice, once with a silver Seabright, once with a silver Spangled Hamburg. Uh, he's won the same at the Federation show. So our biggest shows, which everyone dreams of winning once, and, and he's won them twice. Uh, so uh, congratulations to Robin. Um, but this was another Seabright that I'd picked out that I thought was uh, a, a really nice example as well. Very typey. It's one of the challenges that I think we have with Seabrights is making sure that they are a typey jaunty little bird and we need to get the balance right so those anyone listening in America will know that yours are very typey uh very much like a fantail pigeon almost probably too extreme for our own standards um but by the same token some of ours are too blocky and aren't showing enough type um and it's a real balancing act because actually the points in the Standards are awarded for colour and lacing, and those combined outweigh the points for type. So you can see why people focus on on the colour and the lacing over other things. And you could argue that this female, the lacing is um, not quite as uh, decent as, as on that silver pillar. And I'm sure that's why the judge went the way that they did. But it was just a bird that that I saw. I think it's a really well-captured photo again. You know, she really looks the part. And uh, yeah, I picked her out thought she was a nice-looking bird. Any thoughts, Ollie? <laughs> um, yes, no, I agree. She is, uh, she's full of type. She's got that lovely, um, lovely U-shaped back on her, holding her head back just slightly. And that lovely just sort of heading in the mulberry sort of place that we do desire in a sea right um and yeah i'd echo you'd maybe argue the lacing isn't quite there as to robin crichton's um silver that won um but i think yeah echo what you say a very well captured picture showing herself off very nicely yeah no she's she's a nice one uh Okay, well, so someone knows this bird pretty well already. So I judged the rare breed section and the virtual show and actually had some really good birds to to pick from. Um, This was one of them. It's a a Norfolk grey, showing really good colour, a clean colour, lovely type, good condition. Again, a well-captured photo. Uh, outside can work for photos as well. They don't need to be inside as long as you can capture the bird looking uh, the right shape and, and type, etc. Um, but somebody on this call knows this bird really well, which obviously I didn't know at the time. Um, <laughs> would I have awarded it to him if I had known? I'm not sure. Um, Probably not. I joke. Um, but yeah, so this was one of yours, Ollie. So congratulations, reserve champion rare breed. Uh, Thank you very much. And you've got these in large and bantam, haven't you, Ollie? I do. So I would just like you uh, mentioning uh, photographing outside. Obviously, it comes with many challenges, particularly if it is a bird running amongst various others, as is this cockbird. I do like to take photographs outside where possible because you've got that natural light, which, as you can see on this bird, you get that gorgeous sheen where necessary 
Whereas inside, under artificial light or natural light, but let's say in a shed, you don't necessarily get that gloss um, that you might normally get outside. Um, and I myself just particularly like a natural setting. I always think a bird looks great on lovely green grass. Uh, but yeah, very pleased, obviously, with the result of this bird. And like Jed said, I've got... Um, large and bantam and funnily enough the bantams are actually my main focus so it was rather a delight winning with a large bird that I haven't actually focused that much on. And also the bantams are fairly new aren't they uh, the past decade probably that the bantams yeah. really started coming on the scene um, so yeah so it's, it's uh, it was nice to see some nice bantams in in the section too but this large male just had everything you you were looking for um if we go to the next one uh so this was uh overall show champion in the end but but again a bird i picked out in advance a white uh crested black poland bantam female quite a mouthful um and really nice type so it, it can be really difficult with a with a poland to to capture the type of the bird uh, but you know, good back, good tail angle, nice uh, undercarriage. Um, you can see the crest well in in that photo. Uh, nice wattles. You know, I, there wasn't a lot that you could pick with this bird, and and I wasn't really surprised that she did as well as she did in really good condition as well. I think you can see that from from the photo. Uh, one of James Weatherups, I think. Yes, I believe so. So yeah, congrats to to James. Uh, real cracking, really cracking bird. Yeah, and as we've been speaking um, about styling the birds and things, I I really actually like how James has got this bird to stand with its head tilted towards the camera, so that you can f- see the fullness of the the crest, and you can see that lovely definition between um, the black and white, how clean it is. Um, and she, yeah. it, it looks like he literally washed her for this as well. And she's immaculate. Yeah, she yeah, she's turned out turned out well. Congratulations yeah. to him. Yeah, I know. Well deserved. Uh so next we have a red saddled Yokama Bantam. So this was the champion rare breed, so it beat Ollie's um uh, Norfolk Grey. And the reasoning was that in the feather quality on this Yokama, and you anyone looking at this, uh, or who's uh, seen Yokohamas before. They are a long tail breed. They have very long tail sickles, long uh, uh, side hangers as well. Um, it's a, a white and red bird with spangling, so you can imagine how difficult it is to keep clean. And, you know, this bird really is immaculate. And I just thought, owing to all of that, how difficult that would be. And it's a really good example of the breed as well, that that it uh, just meant it tipped over the edge of of the of the Norfolk um, on this occasion. I and I, Ollie, you know, I absolutely love uh, red saddle yokamas. It, it's one of my favourite breeds. I've kept them before; they're a delight to keep and breed and and show. And um, yeah, so I, I think he's a cracker. One of Simon. Uh, Patel's actually um, yeah. a really mm-hmm. nice bird. Uh, so congrats to to Simon and on turning him out so well. Um, you've got some of these, I think, now as well, Ollie. Come yeah, on. so, um, yeah, beat Jed to it. I've recently just acquired some large ambantum. Um, and, yeah, um, a really nice breed, actually. Very placid. Uh, well, certainly mine are anyway. Um, but, um, yeah, this, I mean, this bird is just, quality is just oozing um and to get that that tail so clean is a real yeah. real feat of hard work um the only thing i thought is that he could have been a bit fitter in the face and i wonder if that's why uh, he didn't then go any further beyond uh champion rare breed but it's a yeah. really difficult balancing act because these birds you can't have outside you know you're no. not have them out in the field because they would wreck themselves very quickly so it's getting the balance of uh, you know, having them in a decent space, plenty of room where they're not, not going to damage themselves. Um, they've got plenty of fresh air, etc. But at the same time, uh, they're, they're not going to get damaged by uh, being outside and, and weather conditions. So, um, yeah, but no, congrats on that one. Lovely, 
lovely bird. And then another bird from the rare section, again, a bird that that I kind of pulled out in advance that I, I really like. And I, again, have a soft spot for white-faced Spanish. And what I really like about this bird, so with white-faced Spanish, the white in the face and the lobe is meant to come below the wattles. And actually, you don't see that very often. But this cockbird does show that. The wattles are kind of tucked up uh, above the the white of the face, which I think makes him a really nice bird. Type-wise, plenty of strength to him in not bad condition. Um, Nice head, uh, really good white in the face. You know, I I thought he was a, a really good example of the breed, actually. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I mean, if I was judging the rares, I think he probably would be one of the ones up there that I would be considering to take further. Um, only thing that I might add that would tip it for me slightly on the um, just lacks a little bit of quality in the the feather in the feather in its hangers and tail. Um, the I think it's conditioning. If you if you look at him compared to the Norfolk Grey or or the Okama, it's just that. Uh, point of condition but um, yeah. you know, really good you know you'd be very happy to have that in a breeding pen uh, and then this is the last bird that I picked out um, I, I, as I said uh, in our intro episode I've always had a fondness for Sussex this is a large speckled Sussex uh, hen I don't think she won her class but the owner of this bird did win the class with it with another bird yeah, really well. Popular, I think, do you know, I'm not sure. They might have even been split, Cox and Hen, right. but I think she won it with another of her hens. Okay. Um, and I'm pretty sure that hen then was best Sussex as well, actually, um, overall. But I thought the markings on this hen were brilliant. Uh, mm-hmm. Really, you know, great clarity. But the type of her as well, a real block, square bodied bird plenty of width if you look at the flatness of the back but also the width across her back as well exactly what you're looking for in a Sussex and you see it sometimes in the Bantams where you don't actually have a flat back uh, but it's rising to the tail Um, absolutely not the case in in these large fowl birds of of hers you know just really strong and um congratulations to her because they're a difficult breed to to get right and i i think when they're as good as this they quite rightly stand out yeah no definitely um you can really see from this picture that she's got that fullness to her body and like you say you know she's got a great back on her something i'd like to add um which is not something you could necessarily see properly from a photograph but speckled sussex tend to um get a lot of fully white feathers in their flights Mm. certainly can't see it from her wing in this which sometimes does come through um but yeah very well marked um she looks fit great condition well done to her yeah no congratulations to the owner right there we go so hopefully you've enjoyed that uh everyone let us know like i say go over to our facebook (laughs) page and and you'll be able to see the birds that we're about um right i'll stop sharing that now okay back to us um um, yeah so we had some really exciting news the past week uh we've had a few bits of exciting news actually um one is that there will be a national poultry show uh in october i think is it the 19th and 20th or 20th and 21st of october i'm going to get that right let me double check um, otherwise, I'll have Lee Grant on to me. Um, <laughs> 19th and 20th of October. I know the date because it's my birthday weekend, which is also very exciting. We can't possibly forget that, can we? Another year older. Um, yes, so so exciting. We've not had a national show since 2019, which is a which is an incredibly long time for for those of us who have been used to going to a national show every year for. A lot of years in my case and um it's a, just such a good way of bringing everyone together looking through the details and intricacies of different birds different breeds different varieties getting together as breed clubs 
uh, an opportunity for new people to come and, and look through uh, all the different breeds, whether it's that they're getting started or they want to know more about the breed that they already have. They want to meet breeders. Mm-hmm. They want to hear from judges, stewards. This this is the opportunity to do that. And I just actually really want to pay tribute to uh, the Poultry Club and everyone involved in pulling this together because it's no mean feat. There have been a lot of challenges along the way. But I, for one, am, am really grateful that they've got to this point. And, you know, I'm touching wood right now in hope that, that we managed to, to get to October and we managed to get to that show. Um, Ollie, you've never been to a national show, so you actually don't really know what you're missing. No, I mean, obviously, um, talking to you and many other friends that do go on a regular basis um, and videos, I, you know, I've got a rough idea what, you know, goes on. <laughs> and um yeah you know it, it's a great opportunity for breeder, uh, breeders to meet up with uh you know uh, friends um and also a really great opportunity for people to to swap bloodlines and you know just discuss you know little tips and and it's a lovely a lovely time for people to really see their breed being shown in their fullest, you know, each class, they've got their numbers, whereas quite often, you, you know, your county shows, your small club shows up and down the country, you don't get that. So I guess if you're lucky enough to be a winner of your breed or even your section, I, you get that gratitude that, oh, okay, actually my birds are really quite good. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, it's great that it's coming back. And, um, you know, like you said, a lot of work for those involved and you know they have had some real tough times to deal with who they've had to deal with um to get to where they are now so you know, um well done to them um, yeah. absolutely and so the other bit of good news is that it looks as though scotland and wales uh, where we haven't been able to have uh, poultry shows for, for a while now they are going to allow uh, chicken shows again so again not waterfowl the same as uh, in England but they are going to allow chicken shows and that means that people from Scotland and Wales can come and show their birds in England too and vice versa so that's really exciting it just feels odd not being able to have the whole of the UK showing poultry um, so uh, really welcome news and again Poultry Club has really put pressure on the the devolved um, governments to to get to that point so thank you for that and then the final bit of uh, hopefully positive news is that with the return this is with my politics hat on but with the return of the assembly in Northern Ireland part of getting to that point uh, was getting over some of the challenges post-Brexit which will mean that uh, hopefully, and we're going to get some clarification on this, but it's looking as though poultry fanciers from Northern Ireland will again be able to show uh, in the rest of the UK, which hadn't been the case um, up until this point, uh, without a lot of um, kind of bureaucracy and and holding birds over and all all of that kind of jazz that, that was initially in the pipeline. So it looks as though come... October, uh, if everything lines up, and like I say, I'm literally touching wood right now, um, but if everything lines up, we could have a national show where people from right across the UK are able to show and take part. And, you know, uh, I, I I just can't wait for that. The icing on the cake, of course, would be as if we can get to a point where waterfowl can be a part of, of that too. And I know that's going to be the next step there's always something else that you're aiming for that'll be the next thing um that i'm sure people will be focusing on is how we can get ducks and geese back into poultry shows as well um so yeah looking forward to that something uh, else to look at um anything else before we move on to the q a ollie i'm aware of time we need to to hurry along a bit because we've got to go judging so yes of course um no i think you've touched bases on that very well i think um maybe we should do some q and a's now cool yeah absolutely thank you so much to everyone who has sent in uh, your q and a questions 
Yeah, um, we've had some great questions. We have. We've had some really brilliant ones. So thank you so much. All right, I'll crack on with the first one. So this is from Ben. If you could add a colour to any breed which doesn't have it, which colour and breed would that be? Over to you first, Ollie. What do you think? So, uh, difficult one because I sort of, I'm in two minds. I, I do quite like a breed that only comes in one colour, i.e. my Norfolk Greys, um, because I'm quite easily led down a path of collecting things. Um, like when I had my Japanese bantams, it was sort of a case of like, oh, you know, I want every colour. Um I am particularly drawn to colour variants that include blue. So I probably would maybe say something like a blue, silver, Norfolk grey, or maybe um, I was already breeding them along with a couple of other people when I had my Japanese, a blue, silver, Japanese. I think it's a very beautiful colour. Um, apart from that, I honestly don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm quite drawn to a blue gold uh, milfleur booted bantam i'm aware that obviously people are already doing those it's not standard color um other than that i don't think i've meddled with too much how about you sure i'm i'm the same i think we've got a lot of colors in a lot of varieties and uh the way i put this across and obviously having bred cool ducks there are a lot of colors of cool ducks a lot of non-standard colors of cool duck and I actually think having too many colours can harm the breed because you end up with judges, A-panel judges like me, who have to know every colour uh, of every breed, and that includes leg colour, eye colour, uh, and what have you. If you make it too complicated, those judges aren't going to feel confident in putting some of those colours up. So those breeds actually might not do as well up against breeds with less colours. So I always yeah. take it into account um again uh, but but there is a case to be made so i always think of the coronation sussex uh which was recreated um some years ago by rob whittington actually who helped me a lot when i got started over on the isle of wight um and a lot of effort has been put into that color variety they are now doing really well in shows actually over in northern ireland at coronation mm -hmm. sussex phantom yeah. has won a show been reserve show champion in another show um, and deservedly so. Again, not just because it's an unusual colour, but because it it deserved to to do well. Um, so I think there are there, there are cases to be made in in certain scenarios. But as a whole, I think we've got a lot of colours and varieties that we should probably just be focusing on. Um, yeah, I I would totally agree with that. And I also think you need to argue: is a new colour of something going to um, be detriment to? an already existing colour in a breed, i.e., you know, I sort of often wonder, silver apple yard, cool duck, are people who don't necessarily have the space and already keep cool ducks and maybe also keep phantom silver apple yards, are they likely to shift those off because they've got one breed that they can keep several colours as opposed to several different breeds? Um, I think, you know, they're options that maybe need to be weighed up um obviously the, the silver apple yard cool duck is already a standard color anyway um but yeah i think that's yeah i think that's i think that's a really good point actually i know when the silver apple yard cool was standardized that was part of the discussion right and um yeah, it's really difficult. Uh, the thing is, there are some really good silver apple yard cool ducks about now. Uh, the, the effort that's gone into creating them uh, is extraordinary. And um, yeah, you know, obviously I believe in uh, freedom of choice. So I think people should be able to have something if, if they want to. Um, but we've just got to be aware of, of potential knock-on effects. So anyway, thank you for that question, Ben. Uh, what question have you got, Ollie? So I've got a question from a Ben as well. It is... How serious do you think the effects of avian influenza and COVID have been on the populations of our already rare breeds? It's difficult to know, I think, at the moment, because we haven't got back to shows where, you know, we'll, I think we'll see today partly uh, what kind of impact that has had. Like I said, I think this is a, a building block to getting back to what we used to have, hopefully. 
Um, but there's no doubt a, a lot of uh, people have either reduced their stock or sadly some have gone out of keeping poultry together. I don't think that doesn't mean they might not come back. No. Things do go well and, and get back up and running. Um, one of the key cases that I know the poultry club and others make to DEFRA is that if we don't have poultry shows, if we don't have a poultry fancy, if we don't have people looking after traditional and rare breeds of poultry, then they will die out because that is why they are there. That's why the poultry club exists. That's why all the breed clubs exist. And so without them, of course, those breeds probably won't remain in the country. And and that is important. It's part of our heritage. But also those breeds help to create the hybrid layers that lay our eggs uh, and the birds that we eat as well. So it's it's part and parcel to the whole poultry industry uh, here in the UK and, and further afield. So that's why it's so important. Um, uh, and DEFRA, I think, do genuinely listen to that. I know there are people who care deeply and passionately about the importance of rare and traditional breeds, whether that's poultry or cattle, sheep, whatever it might be, they they see the relevance of it in in the argument that's being made. So, um, so yeah, so, so I do think it's really, uh, really key. I think there have been uh, some setbacks as a result, but um, working together as a hobby, clubs pulling together, things like this, hopefully, this very yeah. podcast, uh, chatting about poultry, uh, hopefully will help to, to bring new people in and, and inspire some of those that, that are already here. Yeah, I, um, I would yeah, be inclined to agree with all of that. Um, the only thing I might add is that I do find often the case a lot of people that are rare breed fanciers tend to be quite a select group of very focused people. So I do feel that if there has been a drop in numbers of those rare breeds, um, I don't necessarily think we've lost the quality. They might have maybe got rid of something else that isn't necessarily a rare breed and kept their rare breeds because generally speaking, a lot of those that you see showing, that's what they're known for. Yeah. Um, so I would like to think that if they have felt that they needed to have a reduction in breeds due to what's been happening, they have let go those breeds that aren't rare or as rare as other breeds um yeah no, otherwise okay. i think it very much is the case we will only really find out once um the shows come back i guess those that are maybe particularly really interested in numbers the best thing to do would be to um contact the rare breeds um club um, I think Matthew Royman is the secretary um, because they've recently just done a census anyway. Um, so they'll have numbers and they'll be able to, you know, say what breeds have maybe uh, declined due to what's been happening. Cool. Right. We're going to try and give even shorter, quicker answers now. I'm really aware of time. Um, I, so Kira says keeping the tradition going is something a lot of fanciers worry about particularly as less young people seem to be involved in the fancy. What do you think is the biggest barrier to entry for new fanciers? That's a pretty big question. It leads on from what we were uh, probably talking about a second ago, Kira. Um, So I came into it really young. So I got given some hens in this. We also had a question from Mark. How did we get involved in uh, with poultry and in the fancy? We'll do, um, we'll hit both at the same time. So my granddad gave me some laying hens when I was five. Uh, and I was just one of these people. I remember literally pulling out a, a book about chickens at my primary school, saw some lights, so it's decided I wanted some, uh, convinced my mum and dad to let me get some, went to Salisbury Poultry Auction, bought a trio of lights, so it's looking back, which were terrible examples of the breed that were really horrible. <laughs> um, uh, but that got me started. And then from there, I met Rob Whittington, who, who bred Exhibition Sussex and... Uh, got me on the journey and I think one of the barriers to young people actually is having those older models in their family or or nearby who have an allotment or have a bit of land like my granddad did with some 
poultry on uh, and he just had them because he wanted eggs and stuff uh he did used to show some large well summers in in a very small way on the island um but he had them primarily because he wanted to eat the cockbears and he wanted to have the eggs uh, in a very traditional way that people of that generation did and i think that's one of the challenges that we're going to have is that you have less people of that generation passing those kinds of things on to people of my generation um so that means we need to find other ways to to get people interested i think that thing of having your own eggs to eat is really powerful i think we saw a bit of a boom with people keeping hens in in their backyard um because they just wanted some uh they wanted some eggs each day and you tend to find those people are actually really interested in the heritage and the tradition of of the birds that they keep so while they they might start out with some hybrids they then can move on and there's obviously an opportunity to then engage with those people and bring them even further in um but then i think there is hope too so like i said we did that interview with alana uh in the the february issue of france fell i know you'll know alana kira as well you'll, you'll know how passionate she is in Northern Ireland, I think you do it really well. Where at the shows, you really uh, make a fuss about younger fanciers and younger people. Uh, you get judges to uh, speak to them about the decisions they've taken. Uh, you have decent junior handler classes. All of that kind of stuff that really invigorates younger people and makes them feel not just part of the fancy, but prioritised within it, I think is key. And that's certainly what I had Uh when I got started you know great people like Mike Hatcher and Jackie Stanley and you know Lorna Mew Derek Elby like too many to mention but people who really took the effort to uh, spend time with me and educate me and make me feel part of the hobby and the fancy I think that's what we need to do and and it's uh, again hopefully this podcast is a way to engage with some younger people. Younger people tend to listen to podcasts, uh, might normally be music, um, but something a bit different. And um, if they've got chickens already, uh, or ducks, or geese, or turkeys, or something else, um, then hopefully they can kind of um, listen in and, uh, yeah, get get some inspiration. Any thoughts, Ollie, as a fellow young person, just? No, I think you answered that very well. It is certainly a difficult uh, thing to address, really, in this hobby. It's 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 not a young person's hobby. Um, certainly, with how the times are moving, young people aren't involved with the countryside, and this very much is a a countryman's hobby. You know, traditionally, it was sort of something you get involved with. You know, your family might be farmers or involved with farming. That's how I got into it. Brought up on a farm introduced to poultry um eventually realized that oh right okay there's not just one type of chicken there's hundreds um and i generally got a passion for birds anyway so naturally it was something that i was drawn to um whereas a lot of youngsters don't they don't have the dedication that this hobby requires um and i think that's something that as a, a club or clubs um, need to try and encourage. And it's something that I'm trying to address in my own local club back in Jersey um, to try and make it a bit more of an excitable scene for youngsters, um, particularly uh, because our club is so small, we don't have junior handler classes. And that's something to really get juniors engaged with, you know, get them talking about their birds, about their breeds. Um, and if you haven't got that, and the youngsters are just bringing a bird along, plonking it in a pen, they might not already have that passion for a breed that us adults do. So if they're missing out on that engagement that a junior handler class is going to give them, um, I think it's hard to catch that attention that we need from them that's going to keep them interested. Um, yeah, and I think there's a, there's another question around um, younger people these days 
a lot of them don't have hobbies actually and I think that's a concern for me and whether it's poultry or or whatever I think it's really the young people have a hobby um and it provides you with so many skills I I always say you know I wouldn't be where I am today uh career-wise if it wasn't for me having a real interest in poultry because it got me into writing got me into just being around people of all different ages all different backgrounds it means you're normally pretty great with people which in life is really important so uh, my message is if you've got kids or you're involved with young people or you are a young person uh, hopefully you already have a hobby or they already have a hobby but if they don't that is the best thing that you can do for them uh, for for life in general all right we better move on to to another question um uh so tom have you got any funny chicken related stories um so i'm trying to think so there are many times when i have slipped over in mud it probably wasn't that funny at the time but it would have been funny for anyone looking at me um uh, i remember elliot once being chased up the garden path by a belgian damver um screaming and i was like <laughs> look he, he's literally just gonna do nothing because he's so the back of your leg. yeah he's so tiny um and he still reminds me of that to this day about the horrendous dinosaur like cockerel that was chasing him up the garden um uh but I think one of the funniest things stories I I have I always remember going to the South Sea show uh which was over the water and I went with my nan probably the first poultry show on the mainland that I ever went to um and for whatever reason we had to like smuggle ourselves in so we got off the hovercraft so we went over with birds uh on the hovercraft which is uh uh a passenger ferry so you're not in a vehicle so we walked these birds all the way along to this entrance and the people like oh no sorry you need to go all the way around to the other side to get into the show and I remember one of the people we were with not going to mention who was like do you know what stuff this we're actually just going to get into the showground because we're going to be late penny our beds you know we've done loads of walking already so he literally just lifted up the fencing and I remember my nan who was probably like in her late 60s clamoring underneath this thing and then dragging the boxes through um and she was only a little lady, bless her. Um, uh, and, I, you know, just fun times. And like I said, that was, I was a young fancier. And I remember going to that show with with other uh, poultry people from from the island. And, um, yeah, just one of those fun, fun uh, anecdotes that, that you have. And great memories of my nan, too. So, um, yeah. How about you? Um, I can't say I particularly have any funny um chicken related stories i guess the only one although not overly funny would be one of my first shows i had um gold silver seabrights and i didn't particularly know much about showing about pen training or anything like that so literally just took this gold seabright from albert's run took it to the show it was a wild as anything um i think it was after judging i went to uh do food and water and one of these hens took flight and decided to manage to get up onto it. so it was in quite a big hall very tall roof onto the windowsill and then made it up onto one of the steel girders that held the roof and there she stayed for the rest of the show and I literally had to keep popping back like the Monday after to see if she'd come back so, um, so I had similar, but I had worse, where actually, literally where we're going today, um, I took a Muscovy of mine, and I think she got reserve show champion, and then I was like, I want to get a photo of her, it, you know, she's my duck, so I don't care if she is a bit naughty, but she flew up into the rafters of the barn, <laughs> which, as you'll see when we go there, is a massive barn, um, and obviously, it's down in Cornwall. We had to get back to the island, I think, that evening, probably, after the show. And I think we had to, like, chuck things at her to get her to fly to fly down. Um, uh, not, yeah, not really a funny story. I remember being pretty stressed. Yeah. But, uh... My prize-winning duck that means <laughs> everything to me. So much so there's a painting on my wall at home of this duck. 
um, is currently up in the rafters and I won't ever see her again if I don't manage to to get her. I'm next. sure someone would have been very grateful for you to have left her behind. Well, yeah, quite. So um, anyway, so yes, yeah, so I've been in I've been in that scenario. Um, Ollie, have you got a question about running a show? Yes, I'm just conscious of time. I was thinking of maybe doing a short question. And we no, do, that. Do, do that question about the show, and then I'll do one more, and then we'll we'll have to dash. Okay, so I have got a Richard here. Hi, guys. I'm after a little bit of advice. This year, I will be running the Derbyshire Country Show for the first time. In the past, I've helped out at the show. I was wondering if you could give me any tips or suggestions on how to run a good show and to get people interested in entering their birds into the shows and to get the general public into the tent. Excellent. Well, first of all, thank you so much for doing that because we're both people that have run poultry shows. We know the amount of effort that goes into it. So thank you for doing that to begin with. Um, so my advice, and I, uh, I started running poultry shows when I was probably about 15. Uh, and I ran like a okay. charity open day and stuff and not that long ago um, and uh, he laughs and um, yeah so it's a great thing to do really rewarding my advice is build a really good team around you because it is a yeah. lot of effort it takes a just having people to support you putting pens up all of that stuff is really important in terms of getting entries uh, just advertise it use Facebook yeah. To get, to get the word out there you'll probably have people that even from further afield who will want to come and support you in this yeah. um, so make sure that people know we, we've given a, a shout out on this podcast exactly uh, I think the the big key to that is planning yeah make sure you've got you know a bit of advertisement out well in advance get your entry forms your schedules out so people people know know about you they yeah. know what you're up to. They know what your what classes you're offering. Um, and and also in terms of the general public side, um, make it as make the poultry marquee not look like a poultry tent. Basically, yeah. so try and make it really colourful. Use kind of foliage and flowers if you can to brighten things up. Have really good rosettes. Uh, when I used to to do this, and and uh, this was on the Isle of Wight, we won you know ten uh of the year or something at the county show one year um and we put a lot of effort we had bunting we had all sorts of stuff um uh kind of taking a leaf out of the book of cheshire county show actually and, and the work that that was done there um yeah make it really colorful and people people love poultry anyway it's normally one yeah. of the most po- popular tents at a county show but yeah make it uh, really attractive i think as well for a county show um Generally speaking, I mean, I've never been to that county show, but for a county show, you've generally got an amazing footfall anyway. And if you want public engagement in your tent, you know, dress the outside of the tent, get people engaged um, inside your tent. Try and get some tables that haven't got pens on. To, you offer a little bit of um, easy educational information for people. Um where they can feel that they are engaged in what's happening. You know, a lot of people come to these shows that don't understand what poultry shows are. What you know, they don't understand why that bird is in that cage. What are you doing? Why is it there? Um, maybe you know, you could uh, again for county shows. Um, I always think it's great if there's some sort of like uh, a bit of a talk going on. Mm-hmm. Um, you know gather little groups of people throughout the day that are, are keen on wanting to know about the fancy. Um, it's a great opportunity to speak to people that could potentially be on the lookout on getting into um, keeping poultry, you know, maybe just as pets. But we all know that a lot of people who are in the fancy started out as pet chicken people. So yeah, they are really important to the fancy. Education is really important. Uh, you've got a great opportunity there and also uh, the public will love it. Um, I hope that was helpful. Uh, if, if you need anything else, then drop us a direct message on Facebook. Um, last question. Um, I think you've got Ollie, which which was more of a personal nature. Oh, yes. Rather a cheeky one. Um, <laughs> so this person obviously wasn't feeling overly confident in asking us uh, outright. So it's from Anonymous. 
sounds like a grinder profile. <laughs> um, but um, so where are we? Um, so it does say a cheeky one. But are you two a couple? I'd like to add Jed would be very, very lucky if we were. I was just about to say that too. Oh, um, well, no, that. Ollie is not lucky enough uh, to be in that position. Um, no, so I am uh, taken uh, my other half, Elliot, who who luckily, um, not not to the extreme of me in terms of interest in, in poultry and, and birds and animals, but um, uh, really loves that, that I'm so keen on it and uh, very much in, enjoys that that side of our life. Um, but Ollie is very much single and on the market and available. <laughs> and, um, so anyone uh, of interest, um, get in touch, basically, and uh, I'm sure he, he'd be thrilled. Um, <laughs> Thanks, he, like does live, he does live on Jersey, so, you know, but never mind. Anything to add? Well, you know, what can I say to that? <laughs> Uh, that's probably all we've got time for because we literally need to now run um, because uh, we've got to get judging. I'm sorry to anyone who listens to this and is aware that we came in running at the last minute and, uh, you know, a bit of a nightmare. But um, I hope you really enjoyed listening. Thank you so much again for listening to this, the Bird Boys Poultry Podcast with me, Jed Dwight. And me, Ollie Woodall. See you next time. Bye. Thanks, Bye. Thank you.